Well, good morning, Vertical Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not a God who social distances. But Father, you have promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, we end every service with it. Uh, Lo and behold, I will be with you always. And so Father, I pray that whoever is watching this in whatever context they find themselves in, that they would have a tangible awareness of the nearness of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this message and your preached word um, would only make them feel and enjoy Jesus all the more. In your great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you for joining us this morning as we kick off a new series entitled The Heart of Christ. You know, um, we launched this church about a year and a half ago, and one of the challenges of um, just being a really young church is we don't really know each other. When we were starting the church, I was just going around saying, do you know who Jesus is? Sweet, you're in. Like We just didn't know each other, and then Since then, by God's grace, we've been growing and new people have been coming. And so as I've been preaching, I'm not entirely sure who I'm talking to. At Vertical Church, where are we at? What do we struggle with? What are our favorite sins? What's really hard for us to believe? And over the last year is I have had just the privilege of a lifetime to be your pastor. I think I'm starting to understand where we are at, that vertical church. I think we're pretty smart. I think we've heard a lot of sermons and I think we've read a lot of books. And I think outwardly, we look like pretty strong Christians. I think inwardly, though, most of us are pretty discouraged in our walk with Jesus. Despite all the knowledge we have, I think a lot of our Christian lives are just kind of running on fumes. I think for most of us, when we're asked, how is your walk with Jesus going? We respond, I'm just in a dry season right now. And I think... Living with a continual dryness has caused us to feel frustrated and disenchanted and maybe even a bit cynical. I think we know that God loves us, but you guys, I think it's really hard for us to feel like he likes us. I think most of us live with just kind of a a continual, low-grade sense of God's disappointment with them. If that describes you like it does me, then this sermon series is for you. This sermon series is for those who continue to stumble, continue to fall, continue to fail, and are starting to think, God's patience with me must be wearing thin by now. This sermon series is for those 
who have lost the initial optimism that came with following Jesus and are now starting to wonder if God can actually do anything great with their lives. It's for those who know what Christ has done, even know what Jesus has said, but aren't so sure how Jesus actually feels about them, really. You know, it's, it's one thing to know what your spouse looks like and what they have said and what they have done, but it's something entirely different and entirely deeper to know and to feel your lover's heart for you. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to look at what Jesus has done and what he said, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to press in all the way in until we see his very heart and we feel his very heart. You know, I only preach two types of sermons because I think Jesus only preached two types of sermons. I preach come and live sermons and I preach go and die sermons. And these sermons are come and live. These are our come and live sermons. So I think it's important for a preacher to cite his sources. So this series, you guys, was largely inspired by this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. If during this series you think, wow, that's an amazing insight, that's super helpful, that probably came from the book. And if there's something that I say and you're like, that's unhelpful, that's confusing, that was probably my contribution, I'm sorry. But go get the book. Um, it's going to help you during this series. So the first passage we're going to study this morning is Matthew chapter 11. Wherever you are, grab a Bible and meet me in Matthew chapter 11. This series is seeking to answer just one question. How does Jesus really feel about me? And the first place we're going to is Matthew chapter 11 because this is the only passage where Jesus tells us about his own heart. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's 89 chapters. And there's only one place where Jesus just pulls back the curtain to let us look and see who he is deep down at his core. And my question is, what would you expect him to say? I would expect him to say, well, I am holy at heart. Or... I'm sinless at heart, or I am perfect at heart. And in one sense, Christian maturity is simply letting our natural assumptions about who God is be replaced with who Jesus says he is. And so let's just let Jesus speak for himself. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. If we had to describe Jesus' heart using only two words, According to Jesus, those two words should be gentle and lowly. You guys, his heart is gentle and lowly. So when the Bible speaks of the heart, 
it's not speaking of our emotions only. Biblically, the heart is what describes you and it's what drives you. So, so first, your heart describes you. Biblically, the heart refers to who somebody is at their core. The, the heart refers to um, who you are in your innermost being, who you are most honestly and most unfiltered. But secondly, your heart drives you. It's your control center. Um, what's going on in my heart is why I do the things I do. Everything I do can be explained by my heart. So in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is taking us down into the deepest recesses of himself. He's showing us what describes him and what drives him. He's revealing his innermost being and he's explaining why he does everything that he does. And when you peel all of his layers back and you finally see the bedrock of who Jesus is most deeply, you find two things, gentleness and lowliness. What does it mean that his heart is gentle? Well, the word translated gentle here shows up only three other times in the New Testament. In Matthew 5.5, 5, it's translated meek. In Matthew 21.5, it's translated humble. And in 1 Peter 3.4, it's translated gentle. So just think, out of all the other things Jesus might have said, loving feels like a front runner, maybe holy. Out of all the other things he could have said about what's, what's going on deepest down in his heart, he says, it's meekness, it's humility, it's gentleness. Other words would be soft, tender, welcoming, uh, sympathetic, understanding. It's the opposite of pushy and demanding. It's the opposite of bullish, harsh, fed up, uh, easily exasperated. Dane Ortland writes, um, this means he is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms. According to Jesus, gentleness is what best describes him and what most drives him. And see in verse 29, gentleness and lowly in heart. What does lowly mean? The CSB translates it humility, and that's the right word. But this word doesn't refer to humility as an inherent virtue. This word is talking about humility as a result of being humbled by some kind of circumstance. It's the same word used in Luke 152, God exalts those in low estate. That's the word. It's the word in Romans 12, 16, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So the lowly, you guys, are not uh, the impressive people. They're not the elites. Uh, they aren't the people who have it all together. They aren't the life of the party. In fact, the lowly ones are the ones who aren't invited to the party. And because Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, his heart deepest down, is now lowly, and hear this, and is for the lowly. 
Is there anyone in your life who, just for some reason, like you just love them? Like there's just something about them that causes just a warmness of heart toward them? There, there's several people in my life where it's just like, gosh, they can't do anything wrong. I just love them. There's something about them that, that just causes my heart to be warm toward them. Jesus is saying, that's what happens to his heart toward people who aren't impressive people, toward people who just can't seem to figure it out. If there were a party for all the Christians who are crushing it, his heart is warmest for those who would not be invited. The big idea this morning is his heart is at its warmest when you are at your weakest. His heart is at its warmest when you are at your weakest. And so naturally he says, verse 28, see it in the text, come to me. Point one, because his heart is gentle and lowly, he wants me to come. If gentleness and lowliness are the two things that are most at his core, then the point of application here, you guys, is I have nothing to fear. Again, Dane Ortland writes in his book, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. It's why he says, verse 28, come to me. But now Jesus qualifies who it is that gets to come. See, Jesus isn't gentle and lowly toward everyone. He's not, he's not a gushy pushover. In this paragraph before our passage, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty one, 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So he's not gentle and lowly toward everyone. So who is he gentle and lowly toward? We'll see it in the text. Come to me, here it is, all who labor and are heavy laden. The first people Jesus is inviting to come are those who are laboring or those who are weary. In fact, it's the same word used to describe Jesus in John 4 when he arrives at the well after a really long journey and it says he was this word just flat out exhausted, just everything is spent, that's this word. And in the context of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about people who are weary and exhausted from trying to please God, trying to prove something to God, trying to convince God that they are worthy of his love. Jesus is talking to the person who thinks, Jesus will love me more once I start reading my Bible, finally kick that sin struggle, share the gospel with someone, read another book, lose 10 pounds, lead someone to Jesus, achieve whatever thing it is you think God wants you to achieve. And you guys, if you are just flat out tired from that, if you're sick of trying to convince God that he didn't waste his grace on you, that you are worthy of his love, if you're sick of trying to prove to him that if he just gives you a little bit more time, then you'll really be all in, then you'll really be sincere, 
If you're exhausted by that, Christ's heart has never been more warm and welcoming to you. His heart is at its warmest when you are at your weakest. You know, we say things like, um, oh, it was just on his heart to fill in the blank. His heart's greatest passion is to fill in the blank. And what we mean by that is that thing just comes natural to him because it's his joy to do it. It's what he loves to do. You know, my heart is to be with my boys. I just absolutely love spending time with my boys. No one needs to convince me to do it. No one needs to twist my arm to do it. It's just, it's my heart's desire. It's my heart to be with my boys. And Jesus's heart is to welcome you with gentleness and lowliness every single day. Now, we tend to think he was gentle and lowly the first time I came to him and he saved me. But if I have to keep coming to him, especially with the same sin struggles, his gentleness and his lowliness will for sure grow tired. And you feel that, loved one, because you just don't know his heart. No one needs to convince him or twist his arm in being gentle and lowly towards you. It's what most naturally flows out of him. It's what his greatest joy is to do. This means his gentle embrace is more repetitive than your most repetitive sin. Let me say that again, because it's just the best news in the world. Jesus's gentle embrace is more repetitive than your most repetitive failures. No matter how many times you come and go and come again and go and come again, he will say, he will never say, I told you so. He will never say, you finally done. He will never not be ungentle toward you. His heart will never be unlowly toward you because it's just who he is. Gentleness and lowliness is who he is at his core. He can't become less gentle any more than I can become less Chris Osmus. It's just who he is. So... If you are just stinking exhausted and weary from trying to prove something to God, from trying to convince him that he didn't waste the cross on you, come to him. You have nothing to fear because his heart is not to chastise you. His heart is not to take you down a guilt trip. His heart he says, most deeply, most naturally, is to be gentle and lowly toward you. And the other people Jesus invites, see it in verse 28, come to me all who labor and heavy laden. While labor and weariness refers to an internal exhaustion, heavy laden suggests an external exhaustion from bearing some kind of burden. Again, I think the CSB says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. 
That's a good translation. This is just real people with real life burdens, health issues, a death, a breakup, a financial burden, uh, just a broken marriage. And amazingly, Jesus says that burden, that burden that you want so badly out of your life is the very thing that qualifies you to come to Jesus. His heart is most warm toward you when you are most burdened. Jesus' heart is most warm toward the weary and the burden. In fact, if you look up just a few verses, look up to verse 25. Jesus says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. Read that slowly. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. So if you're wise and you're understanding, Jesus is not inviting you today. He's inviting those he refers to as, as little children. Now, children are adorable. I have a couple of them, but something I know about children is that they are ignorant and really messy. And Jesus is saying, I know, Chris, aren't they great? And so are you. And that's why I love you. Guys, he just loves people who can't seem to get it together. Those of us who just can't seem to act like spiritual grown-ups, his heart is so warm toward you. This means God didn't get stuck with you. He actually passed over the elites and the experts to pick the ignorant and messy ones, the ones who bring to him absolutely nothing but need. He chose you not because you did anything, but on the contrary, he chose you because you are so spiritually ignorant and immature and infantile that you might just come to him. You see, he also loves the experts and the elites, but they never get around to coming. They just keep performing, performing, performing. His heart is warmest toward the weakest because they are the ones who actually come. So the only question is, is there anyone out there who is weak enough to come to Jesus this morning? Is there anyone out there broken enough to know they can't fix themselves and they never will? Is there anyone out there sickened enough by your utter inability to change yourself? Is there anyone out there exhausted enough to finally fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I can't do this anymore. I quit. I need you. If that's you, verse 28, he's saying, come to me. All who labor and are burdened, 
and I will give you rest. If you're striving to prove something, and if you're struggling with some kind of burden right now, what Jesus's heart wants most for you is for you to rest in him. So how do we do that? We'll see it in verse 29. He tells us, take my yoke upon you. Point two, uh, because his heart is gentle and lowly, he wants me to take his yoke. Okay, so what's a yoke? Well, a yoke is a heavy crossbar laid on oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through fields. And if you think about it, it's actually a bit cruel. It's like, hey, here's a heavy slab. Uh, I'm going to tie it around your neck, and then you need to do forced labor all day long under the sun until you fall exhausted. And Jesus says he has a yoke. But look how he describes his yoke in verse 30. For my yoke is easy. Now the word easy is actually more commonly translated kind. So you guys, Jesus is using irony here. He's saying, hey, take this yoke. It's a yoke of kindness. It's a non-yoke. Um, it's like when you go to your mom's house and you try to help with dinner and she says, no, 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 your only job is to rest, right? It's ironic. Jesus is being ironic. Jesus has a yoke and it's a kind one. Jesus has a yoke and it's a non-yoke. It goes over your shoulder, but it doesn't hold you down. It lifts you up. The application to this point is, I have nothing to bear. I have nothing to bear. You guys, we've talked about this before. The litmus test of how well you understand the gospel is how long it takes you to run to Jesus the moment after you sin. When you do the thing you promised yourself you would never do again, if you feel like you need to give God some time to cool off before you return to him, that's because you missed the irony of Jesus's yoke. You thought you guys were actually bearing the weight together. You thought you guys were actually shouldering this thing together and you just fell and now Jesus is disappointed. And so now you're going to avoid Jesus for a couple minutes. And to, to avoid Jesus in the moment of failure is like saying, I'm just too hungry to eat right now. I'm just too thirsty to drink right now. Yeah, you fell. So repent and remember that thing around your shoulders. Jesus jokingly called it a yoke because he knew it was actually a lifesaver. Listen, Jesus has nothing riding on your ability to not stumble. Jesus wants you to take his yoke so you can have everything riding on his ability to keep you from stumbling. That's Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So if you are a sinner or if you are a sufferer, taking Jesus's yoke means being lifted up, not bared down. It means being tied to his endless 
gentleness and his always accessible lowliness. Today and every day, Jesus wants you to take his yoke so he can lift you up and sweep you into his sweet embrace. And he never grows tired of this because it's his very heart to do so. So the yoke is a crossbar, but it's not only that. A yoke was also a set of teachings. When a Jewish student would study under a certain uh, rabbi, that student was spoken of as being under the yoke of his teacher. And we know Jesus also has this in mind because he adds in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Point three, because his heart is gentle and lowly, he wants me to learn from him. Now, when we come to Jesus, we think he wants us to, past tense, have learned some things. You know, I've been following Jesus for 10 years, you guys. And there are so many things I should have just, I should have learned by now. I should have learned by now how to stop overeating and worshiping food. I should have learned by now how to make it through a day, like just one day without being irritable and annoyed and unloving. I should have learned that by now. I should have learned so many things by now. And you guys, I haven't. There are some thought patterns and habitual sins that, I mean, if the ball has moved, we're talking a quarter inch in, in a decade. And so obviously Jesus is annoyed by that. It's been 10 years. That's 3,650 days for me to figure it out. How are you not getting this, Chris? Do you ever feel that? We feel that because we forget that every time we come to Jesus, he's saying, present tense, learn from me. Not Remember what I've told you. We've gone over this a thousand times. Come on, I've said this before. No, no, no. Because his heart is gentle and lowly, his grace is always present tense. So the application of this point is, I just have nothing to prove. I have nothing to prove. Loved ones, when we come to him after falling again, his heart sounds much more like, I'm so glad you came to me. I know you fell again. And that breaks my heart. But can I teach you something in this? I know you're getting frustrated with yourself, but I'm not frustrated. I began a good work in you and I will be faithful to bring it to completion Sit down. I want to teach you something in this moment. Yes, it's taken you a long time to learn this. But do you think that's a surprise to me? Please, don't, don't belittle me. I know all things. So surely I knew what I was signing up for when I first called your name. Are you ready to learn something, son? Daughter, are you ready 
to learn something right here, right now, in your most present failing. Jesus never grows tired of being gentle and lowly because it's his very heart. His heart is warmest when you are at your weakest. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus isn't a free-for-all, you say tomato, I say tomato, it's all good, just come to me. No, you guys, he has real teachings and real commandments he really wants us to keep. But his teachings aren't like those of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4, uh, their teachings, they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Remember, Jesus' yoke won't bear you down, it lifts you up. Jesus' best friend, John, said in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So when we come to Jesus, he doesn't say, Okay, let me put this on your mind. Let me put this on your radar. Let me put this on your agenda. Let me put this on your to-do list. No, because his heart is gentle and lowly, his deepest desire is to say, let me take this load from you. Let me relieve you of that. Let me bear that burden for you. Let me lighten your load. That's why he says, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, do you hear the irony in that statement? My burden is a non-burden. My burden is light. Uh, the burden you have to bear is me lifting your burdens. The load you have to bear is me removing your load. And again, I just need to keep saying it. He doesn't grow tired of this even 10 years down the road because he's doing what is most true at his core to do and what he loves to do the most. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Okay, so what happens if we come to Jesus daily, we take his yoke daily, and we learn from him daily. We'll see it in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Point four, because his heart is gentle and lowly, he wants me to rest. Rest is not one option on the buffet table of Christianity. It is the main course. We see the theological theme uh, of rest spanning all the way back to when God created the world and rested. And then we see it in the history of God's people as they practice the regular rhythm of rest in Sabbath. And now we have God with skin on standing right before us and saying, what's deepest on my heart, what I want most for you is for you to find rest. For your souls. And notice here, no transaction was made. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. You and I, we treat Jesus transactionally. 
We think because Jesus saved me, I now have to read my Bible. I should probably journal. I definitely should pray. I need to give. Uh, I need to go to church. I should probably join a serving group. I definitely should join a community. And we try, in a sense, paying him back for the cross. And what Jesus says is, do those things, but do them because I am in them and through them, I am going to give you rest. So read your Bible because I want to speak to you and give you rest from your crazy. Join community because I want to give you rest from trying to live a life of isolation and being unknown. Be generous with your money because I want to give you rest from materialism and consumerism and feeling like you never have enough. You see, when we come to the table with Jesus, you guys, we are never the giver. He is always the giver. We are always the recipient. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything Jesus invites you to do, he invites you to do it so you would have rest in your soul. You see, Christianity is not the best religion. It's God's alternative to religion. It's about resting and the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. This is his heart for you. So as we kick off this series, we, we need to realize how wrong of a view of Jesus we have had. Most of us have projected onto Jesus how our world works. In our world, um, the wealthier a person is, the more they tend to look down on the poor. Um, the more attractive a person is, the more they separate themselves from ugly people. And so naturally, we assume that Jesus being so high and holy must be put off by us, people who are so sinful and broken. We think, yeah, Jesus lets me come to him, but I can see the disappointment on his face. I can hear the impatience in his voice. I can just feel that he's frustrated with me. And the life-changing truth of Matthew chapter 11 is that while Christ is high and holy, he does not cringe at embracing weary sinners and burdened sufferers. Such embracing is precisely what he loves to do most because his heart, more than anything else, is gentle and lowly. His heart is at its warmest when we are at our weakest. I've always thought that, that Jesus reaches out to me the way my son reaches out to touch a bug on the sidewalk. He's kind of grossed out. He keeps a safe distance. He does touch it, but once he touches it, he immediately retracts his arm. And what I'm learning in Matthew chapter 11 is that Christ's embrace is much more like 
how I embrace Haddon after he falls and hurts himself. If my boy trips and scrapes up his knee and he's crying, everything inside of me wants and desires and is happy to go and pick up my precious boy. Because that's when he needs a hug from me the most. And hear this, that's when my heart most wants to be there for him. You see, when he falls, my heart is most tender toward my boy. Everything inside of me wants to wipe his tears and wants to wash his wound and wants to bandage him up and wants to go put him on the couch and give him a big piece of ice cream and say, it's okay, buddy. It's all good. Daddy's here. And so it is with Jesus. When you fall and when you fail, and when you are weary from trying to be righteous, and when you are burdened by some kind of circumstance, that's when you need his embrace most. And according to Jesus' own words, that's when he wants to embrace you the most. His heart is at its warmest when you are at your weakest. His heart is at its most gentle when you are at your most gross. His heart is most lowly when you are most unlovely. So if you are watching this and you are exhausted from trying to live a righteous life in your own strength, and if you are watching this and you are burdened by something, Jesus' invitation to you this morning is, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray.